the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Over the last couple of programs, we have looked at the deity of that baby in a manger. Today, why did that deity become man? That's the subject we're talking about. Join us. Contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. The God-man, that baby in the manger that we have discussed over the last couple of days as God, is also man. And as I mentioned earlier in the week, he is as much God as if he were not man, but he is also just as much man as if he were not God. And the reason why is the subject of our time together as we turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. We catch up with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, right there for today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Turn, if you will, to Job chapter 9. We're headed for Hebrews 2. What we're doing in the month of uh, December is dealing with classic passages that deal with our Savior. Last week, we looked at 10 reasons why John chapter 1 sees God. Today, we want to look at the humanity of Christ. Why did Christ become a man And we will look at seven reasons he gives in Hebrews 2. But I want you to look, if you will, at Job. Job is uh, suffering as few men have ever suffered in history. He uh, has buried ten children. He has lost all of his financial holdings. His body has been stricken with boils. Uh, every sort of affliction. Worms are infesting the uh, infected open sores. He's in ashes. Uh, and he's surrounded by men that are as dumb as clucks as, as to why he's in his situation. But they're so-called wise men, comforters, but they miss, miss, because they know in their theology a righteous man cannot suffer this much. It makes good sense. The righteous do not suffer like this. If you know God, if you know Christ, you're immune from suffering. No bigger lie has been told us. And here's a man without the book of Genesis, without the book of Psalms, the first book in the Bible before Abraham. He's suffering and he's suffering and he takes his case to God. And he says in Job 9, I'll pick up verse 32. For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. Uh, I can't enter court. I can't enter arbitration. I can't reach this one. He's up there. He's transcendent. I'm not dealing with a man. So 
He's totally insensitive, maybe unaware of my plight. There is no arbitrator between us who might lay his hand on us both. I don't have anyone to bring the two parties together and arbitrate, as it were, a peace. I'm suffering. I don't know what I've done to offend God, but I don't have anyone to present my case. I don't have anyone to end the beef. Whatever I've done to offend him, I don't know how to resolve it. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. I'm scared to present to God how I really feel. I have no man that can interpret my feelings, no go-between. Jesus is the answer to Job's cry. Paul said, we have one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, that can lay hands on both us and on God and be our representative. And Hebrews says, from now on, I want my people to come with confidence, boldness, literally freedom of speech, and pour out your heart, not in theological language, not in poetry, but in gut-level feelings. I feel desperate. I want to tell you how I feel. I'm not here to impress deity. I'm here to express my humanity. And I've got a God-man in the third heaven that can interpret every feeling I have to the Father. And what he doesn't do, the Spirit is making intercession for us. Now, the writer of Hebrews takes up the theme of, of rather Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 is a psalm written to the majesty and glory of man. He talks about physical creation. And then he says, but you made man a little bit lower than the angels. And let us look at Hebrews 2. We'll pick up at verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Notice this. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. What is he saying? Man, man has been stripped of being everything God intended because of sin. Yet he's been made lower than the angels. And yet the psalmist is stricken by this. God cares for man. Why would you set your mind upon us? The first reason Jesus came in this passage is he cares for the human race. He cares for us. Why would you care for the human race? 
race. Why would you care for mankind that from the beginning chose to disobey, chose to go our own way, chose to be stubborn in our determination to sin? Jesus came because God cares. He cares about what happens to human beings. What an amazing, amazing statement that God doesn't just observe that our station, we were meant to be rulers of the earth. We were meant to be over everything. And yet, right now, we don't see everything in subjection. I I think of the plant world, how that plants were dependent on plants. We need coke. We need morphine. We need marijuana to chill out. We need drugs. We need plants. Plants. We live on plants. We're a drug-addicted culture, whether it's opioids or other, no matter if it's for pain or for pleasure. We're hooked on the plant world. God meant for us to reign over everything. And in our sinfulness, we have fallen so low. We say, I can't live without a drug. I can't live without this. What do you mean? You were made to be a ruler. You were made to supervise and superintend the garden and all of creation. God didn't make us to be subjected to all that we're going through because of our sin. Someday, the perfect man will regain for us the rule over the earth and put creation in subjection to him, remove the curse, take away the thorn, take away the lion's appetite for the lamb. They will lie down together. That's coming. But now, man in his pitiful state, God says, I care for what happens to them. Second reason he came, he goes on to say that he came in verse 9. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You must remember there's a cross over Bethlehem. The birth of Christ saves no one. The birth of Christ saves no one. But he was born that he might die. And he took a form that God could not die on the throne. Eternal spirit cannot die. But he said, I will stoop low enough so that I could come and taste death for every man. And the depth of the meaning of that, I do not comprehend. That he tasted death. Adam died and killed the whole race in Romans 5. says that, that he represented us. And here Christ comes in order that he might die. Born to die. I will get, you know, we would do everything to save our life. Think of a child. We're always trying to protect. Keep you immune from hurting. Immune from pain. And yet the son and the father agree. I will come in order that I might die. I think of what he exchanged. I will change my address. I will change from glory to the ghetto of Galilee. You know, when he he wound up, even the wise men, if you read the story, the wise men, when they came to Jesus, he wasn't in the manger. He was in a house. See, the shepherds came to him when he was in the manger. 
The wise men, about two years later, found him in a house. And he's living in Nazareth, which was the Gentile region of Galilee, which had become the red light district for the Roman army. They went to Galilee to get away from the religious uh, life of Jerusalem. You went there for party time. You went there for the brothel. You went there to act as Roman soldiers. Jesus was born in the ghetto of Palestine that he might reach us. He came from glory. He came to shame. He came left the riches of glory for the poverty of the earth. He changes glory to obscurity. He told the Father in John 17, I long to resume the glory I had with you before I came. I just want to go back to the glory, the external manifestation of all that I am. This he did for us. This he did for us that he might die. Uh, here's some verses in verse 10. Uh, through 13 that astound me and I must say this passage is one of my favorite to do at Christmas I, I, I would do it every year until I die because it explains why would God come among us listen to what it says for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder or the pioneer of their salvation perfect. Fitted is the idea, not moral perfection. He already had that. But this word is often used of fitted for what it was designed. He came to be sympathetic. So God took him and put him through a process. You're fitted through your suffering to represent God's people. But notice. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. What did he just say? This is astounding. He who sanctifies, who sanctifies us? It comes from God. Which member of the Godhead is he talking about here? The son, it looks to me like. Or let's say it's a father. It's one of the Godhead. But for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Isn't that amazing? We people who have been set apart by God, we have a source in our life. We have a source of life that comes from above. Now watch, watch. I develop this. Watch this. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Did you see what it said? Now watch. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Do you know where, that's, do you know where that verse comes from? Do you remember these words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the same Psalm. Psalm 22, that when he's talking about the bulls of Bashan are goring me, 
Uh, I've become a worm and no man in verse 6 of the psalm. And he's talking about the lion stalking him, speaking of the audience and the crowd at the cross. But while he's on that cross, he begins to see the future. And he says, I can't wait until I have a celebration service with my brothers on the cross. This is Psalms 22. I'm anticipating because of what I'm doing on the cross. I will go back to more than fishermen. I will go back to my brothers. And we're going to celebrate. Now watch, watch, come on, right here. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. And how did you get children? I went to the cross for them. To give, to sanctify them, to substitute for them, to beget a family. I came in order to start a family that I could call brothers, that I could call the children of God. Jesus started it on the cross. Is it sacrilegious for me to call Jesus my elder brother? See, he calls me the brother. You know, I hear people say, Jesus is my friend. Well, I know what you mean. What a friend we have in Jesus. I know, I know the sentiment. But you know what? There's no place they ever called him friend. He called us friends. John 15, I call you friend. But really, I like to go a little bit, hi, hi Jesus, buddy, buddy. No, 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 no. Don't strip him of his majesty just because you want familiarity. He's Lord of Lord, King of Kings. He calls you brother. He calls you children. Well, that does open the gate for a little bit. It is wonderful if you grew up where I did in Richmond. Believe me, it's a benefit to have older brothers. And the projects, being alone, ain't good. No. And, and my mother was a mother mother. If I came in and he hated it because he's the older brother. Paul had almost gone. If one beat up one of us Howard kids, let me tell you, there's four more to go. Because if my mother had to go out there and fight, she would. Because you're not going to run over my kids. I'm full-blooded Irish, and I'm not afraid to fight. And boy, David was sick of it. Because if Ruth got hit, he'd have to go out and hit a girl. Boom. He's usually my cousin. Leave them alone. Why did you do that? Mom sent me. <laughs> there are advantages. So it is right to think of Jesus as your elder brother. You know, it's beautiful. In the Old Testament, God knew that fellow Jews could go bankrupt. Fellow Jews could fall into financial straits. This happened in the book of Ruth. Naomi and her two sons went into another country because of famine in Bethlehem. As they flee to go away, the boys marry foreign women. And uh, the boys die. Naomi's husband dies. She even says when she comes back in the town, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. I'm grieving. And she had this Gentile girl named Ruth clinging to her and said, I want to go with you. Your people will be my people. Where you rest, I will rest. 
Your fate is mine. And they get there. They've lost their property. They've lost their husbands. They're now homeless. They're now on welfare, as it were. And so, Naomi sends Ruth. There's a custom in Israel that the poor can go to the corners of the field and they were not allowed to harvest the corner of a field. That's where the poor of the land could eat. Go pick the grain from the corner. She goes out there and she comes back and she said, I, I've gathered grain today from a man's field named Boaz. Naomi said, this is providential. You see, to get our property back, to get any standing in Israel back, we need a kinsman who would bail us out of bankruptcy. We need a kinsman who could reclaim our land. We need a kinsman that would put us under his garment, as it were, and become a provider. We're bankrupt. We have no property. We're just aliens in our own home city. Finally, they go to city council meeting. All the elders meet at the city gate. And Boaz was not first in line. The first heir was another man. And they go to city council meeting and said, the property is up to be redeemed because they were not allowed by the law to get rid of the property. They wanted to have an inheritance in Israel. And the first buyer said, the land is on the block. You can buy it. It can become your land. The man said, I'll take it. Good. Write it up. How much is ready to fetch out the coinage? And all of a sudden they said, one thing we must tell you, the Gentile girl comes with the land. He said, I want land. I don't want another woman. I, I sure don't want a Gentile girl. Because you see, he didn't love Ruth. If to be a redeemer took three things. You had to have the finances to buy the property. You had to be related by blood. And you had to be willing. Jesus became my brother because he had the price to buy me out of slavery. He came my kinsman and he became a man that he might buy me back. And you know, the amazing thing is, he loves me. He so loved me that he came and said, I'm going to buy back everything you lost in Adam. I'm going to buy back everything you lost in the fall. And so now, I not only got back God, got back heaven and paradise. Jesus says, we're now going to be family. If you're not here and know Christ, you're not in the divine family, and you're not under the protection of the elder brother. He said in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, 
May you come to rest under the wings of the Almighty, Ruth. May you in Bethlehem get under the wings of the living God. You're a widow. You've buried husbands, sons, and you're left with a Gentile girl at your table. But may you come under the wings of the Almighty. Let me tell you, in Jesus, the wings of the Almighty came. And he began to form a family, a family of children and brothers. I am related to Jesus Christ by the blood of the cross. That's why he came. He started a family. Are you in it? If you'll be born again, if you'll trust Christ, have you left the family? Have you lost your inheritance? Have you lost your joy? He's waiting at the table. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to His knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call. 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855 833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue Suite 278 Hercules, California The zip code is 94547 And that website once again truthfortodayradio.org It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.